Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? You probably already have. And we'll take it from the top and read down to the beatitude we're going to cover this morning. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the great emphasis today is on getting in shape and staying in shape. Exercise right, they say. Diet is important. Because all of that, they tell us, will cause you to live longer. And it's true. People are living longer than ever before. As a point of contrast, in the year 1900, the average age for the American male was 46. 46 years old, and then it's over. Then you're like Bill in the video. Today, the average age for the American male is 73. Back in 1900, if you were a female, it was age 48. Today, it's age 80. They always did better than us. You know, they always live a little bit longer. Of central importance to your health and longevity is the shape of your heart. Heart disease is still the number one killer in our country. The heart beats an average of 75 times per minute. That's 40 million times a year. That's two and a half billion times if you live to be 70 years old. With each beat of the adult heart, the heart will discharge four ounces of blood, which amounts to 3,000 gallons per day or 650,000 gallons per year, enough to fill more than 81 tank cars of 8,000 gallons each. And it's important. It, it is a workhorse. That muscle provides energy to the body in blood. The heart does enough work in one hour to lift a 150-pound man to the top of a three-story building. In 12 hours, it produces enough power or energy to lift a 65-ton tank car one foot off the ground and enough power in 70 years to lift the largest battleship completely out of the water. So it's vital to keep that thing going because when it stops, you stop. What is the shape of your heart? That's what we're going to look at today, but not in the heart literally, but as the Bible talks about it, figuratively. Hey, by the way, you want to hear something scary? A few years ago, General Electric did a recall of pacemakers. So vital is the heart that some people need something from the outside to keep the heart going. General Electric recalled 487 pacemakers, most of which were already implanted in the chest of patients around the country. What a scary phone call that would be, huh? Oh, excuse me, I got bad news. We have to take the pacemaker back. 
The sixth beatitude is before us today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Which I consider one of the greatest utterances in all of Scripture. I say that because the breadth, the depth of that verse would take us a lot longer to cover than just one message. The subject of being pure in heart or holiness runs the gamut from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Purity of heart. 1,800 years ago, the Romans had a feast they called Lupercalis, celebrated on February the 15th. It became known as Valentine's Day. It has nothing to do with Lupercalis, the pagan holiday, but Valentine's Day was the celebration of two Roman martyrs who gave their lives for Christ during the reign of Claudius II. And in the celebration of those guys named Valentine, they drew a perfectly symmetrical heart to represent a pure heart. That's what the symbolism is all about every Valentine's Day. That heart that doesn't look like a human heart, the human heart is asymmetrical, but that perfectly shaped heart was to represent blessed are the pure in heart. So we want to look at this one beatitude today. We want to figure out what the Bible means when it talks about the heart, what the Bible means when it talks about having a pure heart, and what the Bible means when it says they're going to see God, those that have a pure heart. So in looking at this beatitude, this sixth beatitude today, I want to give you four vital signs that are in this verse. First of all, the explanation of the heart. What is the heart exactly according to the Bible? Number two, the emphasis of the heart. Why is it the heart is so important? Why does the Bible speak so much about it? And we'll discover that. Then third, the elaboration of the heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart before God? And then finally, the effect of this kind of a heart. So look at it again, then we'll jump right into it. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. The term heart is loosely tossed around by people today, and uh, even among Christians, I've noticed. Uh, sometimes you will hear people say things like, Well, what we really need is more heart knowledge, not head knowledge. Have you heard that? Or you've heard people say something like, well, he may believe it in his head, but unless he believes it in his heart, it's useless. As if to say there is a difference between the heart and the mind, the heart and the head. And oftentimes Christians will talk about the heart and the head or the heart and the mind as being opposed to one another. In other words, they'll tell us, you got to feel it emotionally. Well, I've got to tell you, that's the wrong use of the term heart, according to the Bible. It's a Western view of the heart. It's not a biblical view of the heart. The word heart is used over 900 times in the Bible. It's translated in Greek, cardia. We get cardiology, etc., which we use to refer to the heart muscle. But when the Bible uses it, it almost always uses it in a figurative sense. And what it means is this, the inner person the seat of your motives, your attitudes, and the center of your personality. It may include your emotions, 
but it primarily refers to the thinking process, the mind, especially the will. As an example, Proverbs 23. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or Proverbs 3. Write these things on the tablets of your heart. In other words, remember them in your mind. Jesus asked the scribes in the New Testament, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? And also, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, and adulteries. So the heart isn't the opposite of the mind. The heart is the mind, according to the scriptures. It's the mind It includes the motives, Genesis chapter 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. It also speaks of the will. The Bible talks about the backslider in heart or the perverse in heart. So here it is. The heart is your mind, your thoughts especially your will, the inner you. It's who you are on the inside. Some time ago in India, I've traveled to India about five times or so, a Hindu man came up to a Christian missionary and asked him a very strange question. He said, what do you put on your face to make it shine? The missionary said, pardon me? What are you talking about? I have seen it everywhere. In Bombay, in Agra, in Surat. You Christians, and I've seen all of you who believe in Jesus, have this shine. And then the missionary understood. He goes, it's nothing we put on the outside. It's what comes from the heart. It's the reflection of our God that comes from the heart. So that's the explanation of the heart. Second, There is the emphasis of the heart. Why does Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart? Why didn't he say, blessed are the pure in actions? Blessed are the pure in vocabulary. Blessed are the pure in body. Though all of those are important, why does Jesus and why does the Bible emphasize the heart so much? Here's the reason. When God has the heart, God has you. When God has the inner you, he has all of you. Because what comes from your Heart, minds, attitudes, thoughts, the inner you affects everything about you. That's why Proverbs 4 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceed the issues of life. In other words, watch your thoughts. They are the blueprint of everything that you say and everything that you do. Remember the story of Samuel who was looking for a king to replace Saul and he goes to the house of Jesse. He has in his mind's eye the successor. This is what I think a king ought to be like, what a king ought to look like. And first thing he sees is Eliab, the oldest of Samuel's sons. And in his mind, Samuel goes, yeah. Now I'm paraphrasing just a bit. Yeah, right on. This is the dude. This guy looks like a king. He's got broad shoulders. He looks very royal. Little did he know that the king was outside keeping sheep, right, David? As he approaches Eliab, the oldest, the Lord speaks to him. This is what he says. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. 
For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. U.S. News and World Report tells us that manufacturers are being a bit tricky lately. What they're doing is giving us the same size box and putting less inside. They did a report on this. They found one detergent company, for example, is selling their 61 ounces, same size box, but putting 55 ounces in the inside. Less than what they promise. Here is Samuel looking for a king. He looks at the box. goes, wow. God is concerned about the contents of the box. God doesn't care about veneer. God cares about the core, who you really are in the inside. That's why there's an emphasis on the heart throughout the Bible. That's why you read passages in the Old Testament, for example. You know, whenever they were upset, they wanted to show grief, they would rip their garments as a sign of repentance, of real grief. It was all an outward display because God says, Turn to me with all your hearts, and so rend your heart and not your garments. Or in Isaiah, the Lord says, These people are drawing near to me with their lips. They're honoring me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. David sinned with Bathsheba. Put on his happy face. All is well. I'm king. No problem. Until Samuel walked in and pointed his little prophet finger in his chest and said, you are the man. And afterwards, David wrote a psalm where he understood the emphasis of the heart. In Psalm 51, he writes, O Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. The pages of the New Testament reveal a religion that was outward rather than inward. Judaism had become so corrupted by the time Jesus hit the scene in Jerusalem and Galilee that it was all about outward display, not about the inner core. And that's why Jesus busted them so often. Like, woe unto you hypocrites, Pharisees, You may clean the outside of the cup, but inside it is filled with corruption and dead men's bones. Heard about a lawyer, new office, newly on the job, wanted to make an impression. He saw someone coming through the doors of the office that he thought great, a prospective client, wants to make a good impression. So he picks up the phone and has an imaginary conversation. And he says really loudly, oh, yes, we're going to settle for $20 million. We're going to get that, no problem. I'll meet you in Seattle Tuesday. Hangs up the phone proudly and says, can I help you? The man walks in the office and says, I don't think you can help me. I'm here to hook up your telephone. (laughs) All outward. Nothing going on inside. Nothing connected. Look at another word in our text. This brings the third point to bear. That is the elaboration of the heart. Blessed Makarios, oh how happy to be envied. 
are the pure in heart. Well, now we have a problem, don't we? So far, so good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We've been there, done that. Blessed are those who mourn. Been there, done that. We've seen the changes of mercy and meekness, hunger and thirst after righteousness. But now we have a problem because it says, Blessed, oh, how happy are the pure in heart. And I say it's a problem because if you know anything about what the Bible says about the nature of man, the heart is our problem. We have and are born with impure hearts. You say, well, that might be everybody else, Skip, but I am the exception, you know. Well, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, or as the NIV says, incurably sick, and who can know it? Now, that's what the Bible says about our hearts. They're impure. They're incurably sick. Who can know it? Which flies in the face of the idea, the modern notion, that man is naturally good. And all you have to do is fan the flame of goodness, and that person will become wonderful. No, no, the heart is impure. That's our problem. That's why we need salvation. The Minnesota Crime Commission put out something, a statement a few years ago. I'm going to read it to you. It's very interesting. This secular source even admits, quote, Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny these and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. But if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. What a statement, what an admission of truth. Well, what do we do then? If the heart is the problem, how do we purify them? Well, you know the first part. Jesus purifies them, right? Let's call that positional purity. We come to Jesus imperfect. We are poor in spirit. We mourn over our condition. Jesus accepts us and imputes to us. That's the Bible word. Imputes to us the righteousness and purity of Jesus. But there's something else. There is what I call a practical purity. That is where we cooperate with God and we grow in holiness. Hopefully you are more spiritual today than you were a year ago today, two years ago today. There is that growth in holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What does pure mean? The word katharos. We get the term catharsis, to cleanse from impurities. The Romans used it and the Greeks used it to purify metals from dirt, make them clean. Counselors use the term catharsis to speak of the cleansing of the mind or the emotions. It means to clean by removing the dirt. What does it mean when applied to the heart? It simply means that Before God, we are pure, and before men, we are sincere. That's the idea. It is relational. It's relational. 
One translation, even the Phillips translation, puts it this way. Happy are the utterly sincere. The utterly sincere in heart. Give me the liberty to retranslate this into the NSV, New Skip Version. (laughs) Blessed are those. Oh, how happy are those who live life out in the open. No masks. Life without masks. We are clever at hiding behind masks because masks are safe. I remember even back from high school days, there were people in high school that wore the I'm tough mask. Remember those guys? I'm tough. I'm tougher than you are. I don't need anything. I'm tough. I don't cry. I'm like Rocky Balboa, the tough guy. You get down a little bit deeper and you discover it's just a mask. There's another mask people love to wear. It's the I'm cool mask. Well, that's okay. I don't do that, though, because I'm cool. I'm totally together. That way I can be shallow and never grow. Then there's the I'm intellectual and scholarly mask. That way I can feel superior to all those unintellectual peons that are around me. But you know what the worst mask is? And we wear it even in churches. It's the, I'm holy mask. <laughs> or I'm glad you're a Christian, but I'm, <laughs> I'm holy. Holier than you are. And, and that lets some people think they never struggle. Because they go through life claiming the victory. Rather than going through the struggles. That's what really happens. Years ago, before I moved to uh, Albuquerque... This is when I was single at the time and given to antics more than I am now. <laughs> a little more than I am now. But I had a mask, a full rubber mask that I, I could slip over my uh, head and it would tuck under my collar and it looked like the most bizarre looking real person. And I get on the freeway <laughs> and I wasn't driving, my buddy was driving, but I'd just be in the passenger seat and just kind of looking around at people, watching their reactions. And it was hilarious to watch them look over and then do a double take. I discovered it wasn't safe, but I even wore it to a wedding one time just to see what would happen. Calvin Miller writes, It is easier to wear a mask. An ugly face is sometimes better than a real one. And thus we are afraid to show each other who we really are. To be pure in heart before people is to live life without masks. And if there's one place masks ought to come off, it is in church. It is among God's people. We don't have to wear the I'm holy mask. I'm better mask. Just, yeah, I'm having some problems. Would you pray for me? Oh, I couldn't do that. It's embarrassing. They won't think I'm holy. No, but they'll think you're real. And for that, they'll think you're holy. And you'll be happy. You'll be blessed. And by the way, that's the effect. That's the fourth and final thing I want to point out. The effect of this kind of heart. Notice, blessed are the pure in heart. And here it is, they shall see God. So you get a twofold blessing, so to speak. God pronounce you objectively blessed when you're pure in heart. And later on, you will see God. By the way, the Greek tense is in the future indicative middle voice if you're Greek intellectuals. 
More literally, it would be translated, blessed are the pure in heart, they will continually be seeing God for themselves. Think about that. You're pure in heart, you will continually be seeing God for yourselves. If you're pure in heart, you'll see God in creation. You'll look at a sunset differently than an unbeliever. You look at a sunset and go, wow, dad did that. My father If you're pure in heart, you'll be able to see God in Scripture. You won't just read it and go, I don't get it. It's some long narrative. You'll say, ooh, that's a personal word to me, a personal love letter to me. If you're pure in heart, you will see God in His people. You'll look past their faults, their inconsistencies, and you'll see God in them. And finally, if you're pure in heart, you will see God in eternity because Jesus has cleansed your heart It's something to look forward to. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that God wants you to be blessed, happy. He mentions it nine times here in the Beatitudes, a truly spiritual happiness. As we close this morning, I want you to examine your heart. As Paul sang about this morning just a little bit ago, examine your own heart. What, what is the shape of your heart this morning? You might say, well, it's pretty good, preacher. I go to the gym three times a week and I work out. My heart's in good shape. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. What is the shape of your heart before God? The inner you, the real you, the pure thoughts that would lead to pure actions. And where does purity begin? At the cross, in repentance. In Acts 15, Paul speaks about the Gentiles who believed and that they were part of the church just like Jewish believers. And he says, God who purified their hearts by faith. That's where we begin. So to have a clean heart means you're cleansed from sin by Christ. To have a pure heart means you worship God sincerely in spirit and in truth. And to have a pure heart, I believe, means to live life openly, without masks, without hypocrisy. For 11 years, the Massachusetts man kept his secret well. Nobody knew. Nobody had a clue. Even his own family didn't know. For every night, this man, for 11 years, would take a newspaper, sit down and open it, and spend an hour with it. Later on, the truth was discovered. The man was unable to read. He was illiterate. It was all a show. The newspaper, you think he's reading the sports page, getting the stock quotes. He can't read. It was all a facade. People can do that spiritually for years. People can come to church for years whose hearts really aren't touched by God. Oh, they speak the Christian language, you know, Christianese. Hallelujah, bless God, praise the Lord. We all know the words. Sometimes they just roll off the tongue without meaning. We carry the book, we sing the songs, but is the heart touched? Let me just say, if anyone this morning may have come and you're wearing that mask, there's no better place or time to take it off than now and here. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Lord, Nobody here in this room knows our heart. You do. You alone know the depth of who we really are. Our spouses know a lot about us. Our kids and parents do as well. But nobody really knows us 
like you know us. And yet what's amazing is that you accept us. You love us. Father, I would pray, as would many here, that if anyone is joined to us this morning who hasn't honestly, sincerely, openly turned from sin and asked Christ to be King, Savior, and Lord, that that would take place here. We've learned this morning, Lord, from your word. But that learning should lead to something. It should lead to commitment. It should lead to action. For if our hearts are touched, the rest of us will be touched as well. And so, Father, we pray that we would refuse to live with a mask not judging others, but looking only to ourselves with a willingness to remove it, to walk openly and honestly before God and men in all good conscience, as Paul said he did. And then before you, O Lord, since ultimately one day we're going to stand only before you at the judgment seat, that we would ask ourselves now, are we found in Christ and Him alone? Have we truly given our lives and hearts to Him? And if in honesty this morning, friend, you'd say, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Now is the time to be sure. And if you are willing to give your life to Christ, to surrender. As we're praying for you, I just want you to raise your hand up in the air. Raise it up high so I can see it. God bless you, man, right up in the front. Take the mask off. Say, yes, Lord. I want to be real with you. I give you my heart. Anyone else? Raise that hand up in the balcony. Yes, ma'am. The Lord is dealing with the heart toward the back. Yes, ma'am. Heavenly Father, for those whose hands are raised, we pray together that the life would be changed, renewed, made new, and a whole new sense of joy, peace, excitement, a way to face life would ensue. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.